good afternoon. I hope you can hear me. Uh, I had to wait a little bit. We had a speaker phone here, and I've got a, another phone. And if, if we had them both on the same time, all you would hear is a loud whistle. I really uh, appreciated the sermon that we had this morning. Um, Daryl sent me a message yesterday that he was going to do the morning service, so I told him that um, all I would have to do, I guess, is say ditto. <laughs> uh, but, you know, God calls and he has a reason for us to have the same thing sometimes. When I look at what happened myself, I just want to make, and I had this down as part of the, the opening of my sermon, that uh, what happened in New York was, when I watched it, was really, to me, was, it was a, an eye-opener, because I never thought that buildings could collapse that quick, and, and it was really shocking for me to realize that everyone up above where those airplanes crashed were dead, even though at the time I saw it, they were alive because there was no way out. I mean, there was, what, four or five floors that were virtually on fire. The heat was so hot that it melted the girders. And and I couldn't figure that it would collapse that way. And I thought, and remember some of the things that other people have said in times past that, you know, maybe it's, those people were just not, it was their time or God looked at it was their time where they had some kind of a problem. So... Let's turn to Luke chapter 13 first. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. There were present at the time, at that season, some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the sacrifice. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Do you suppose you that these Galileans were more sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? And Christ says, No. But except you repent, you shall likewise perish. And down in verse 4, and, Or those eight kings who died in the tower of uh, Siloam fell and slew them, think you that they were sinners above all men that dwelled in, in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. So it's interesting that when these towers fell, this thing came to my mind, and I thought, you know, those people are no different than any one of us. We all are sinners also. But I had to wake up and say, what am I doing with my life? Verse 6, and he spoke also a parable. A certain man had a fig tree and planted uh, in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereof and found none, and then said, to the dresser of the vineyard. Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit uh, of this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbers the ground? And we think about that. That we've had time as people to know God's word. Are we producing fruit? And I really appreciated that sermon that Daryl brought out because it, was, it made me think and I added things and took away things, and it's just so important that we realize that. And he said, and Christ speaking here said, and he answered and said, uh, Lord, let, let it alone 
this year also, till, uh, until I uh, shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that you shall cut it down. So it's something important for us to look at. But we're not any better than those people that died there in New York or in Washington, D.C. And I thought at the same time, too, down in Florida, uh, about, a, about a week ago, or a little over a week ago, a lady, a mother, I don't know how she could do that, but took her six-year-old son and took a 12-gauge shotgun and blew him apart, then called 911 and said, hey, I just killed my kid. Well, how do you know? Or I said, my kid is dead, rather. And they said, how do you know that? She said, well, I shot him, blew him apart with a shotgun. And then she went after her other two children. And I thought, well, you know, this lady's really got to be bad, but it's human nature. And she's no worse than those men that were on that airplane. And they're, you know, the, the, the past uh, month we've had, what, two instances where whole families were murdered. So who is the bad guy here? You know, Daryl aptly pointed it out. It's not people, it's Satan who has infiltrated the minds of people. Well, we can see that destruction is coming, terrible destruction, destruction on this nation. And when I saw that and I thought, what am I doing in my life? You know, I think it is a wake-up call for us. Now, it was only a minute scale. It's only something small. But we need to sit back and say, what am I doing in my life? In Amos chapter 3, verse Three says, can two walk together except they be in agreement? Do we walk with Christ or not? We, if we're walking with Christ, we have to agree with Christ and understand what, he's, what he has. And he's using people to teach us. And it is Christ speaking through whoever is doing the speaking. Down in verse 7 it says, surely the Lord will do nothing. But he revealed his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And I read that, I thought, has that ever happened before? Then I think of a time when God was so upset at this world, he said, I am going to utterly, completely destroy it. But he found one man, one person that loved him, that followed him, that did his will. And that was Noah. And God revealed to Noah exactly what he was going to do. He told Noah. And Noah preached for 120 years. They never listened. What about the time when Sodom and Gomorrah fell? God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham pleaded with God. He pleaded that if 50 people... Can we, can we think as we could plead with God if he could find a thousand righteous, would he spare this nation? Or, or 500? Or 40? You see, God only found one person righteous in Sodom. So Sodom was destroyed. So God will warn people. He will tell them before he does anything. And this was a wake-up call 
a wake-up call to us, he's telling us, I am going to destroy this nation. I'm going to destroy the world. When Daryl read those scriptures there in Ezekiel, Ezekiel shaved his head, you know, and he pulled it out. When we think of over three billion people are going to die, three billion people, we could see in that tower collapsing, 5,000 thereabouts, maybe a little more died. And that's only a, you know, not even a drop in a bucket compared to what's going to occur in the future. Let's turn to Matthew 24. These things are coming. Time is going to hit us. Matthew 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Christ showed them, and he said, All these things will be torn down. Verse 3, And as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came unto him privately. Now here the disciples came, and he's talking to just the disciples here. They came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the world? So they were interested. They wanted to know, and we know that throughout their lifetime, they thought Christ would return in their time. Paul thought it. All these people thought it would be in their lifetime. But it, it comes at the end, and it comes on God's schedule, not mine or yours or Daryl's or anybody else's. It comes on what God has decided, his time schedule. And Jesus answered them and said, Take heed that no man deceive you. That's an important thing to think about. Don't allow people to deceive you into thinking that you have plenty of time left, because you might not. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And we hear that. We hear a lot of people saying, yeah, Christ is Christ. I had a man come to me a week ago yesterday, before the thing happened, and he'd been in worldwide, and I knew him, and I loved the man. But he, like Daryl pointed out, lost something down the line, because he now wants to be a preacher, and he wants to preach to him. And I said, well, what are you going to preach for him? And he said, well, I'm going to preach Christ and him crucified. I said, well, that's good, because that's all right. And when are you going to do this? On Sabbath? He says, oh, no, I will never keep Sabbath again. I, he told me that three times he would never keep Sabbath again because he allowed himself to be deceived that you don't have to do that anymore. He said, I'm going to tell them they have to repent. I said, repent of what? Well, sin. And what is sin? The only, only one law that you want to cut out is the Sabbath, and you know better. But people are deceived in doing that. Let's go to uh, Zephaniah. Daryl went through Zephaniah this morning, and uh, I had it written down too. And I'm glad Daryl went through it, because I, I learned a lot from that too. Just like all of us, if God inspires and leads a person, and it is God, you know, and I told my wife this, I said, people that give sermons are like the mouth. But what directs the mouth? the head. And who's the head? Jesus Christ. So the mouth is nothing more than that which portrays information that we can gather 
but it is Christ that's directing it and leading it. And that's so important to understand. In, in verse uh, 3, as we already went through this, in verse 1 it says, The word of the Lord came unto Zephaniah. And down in 2 it says, I will utterly consume all things from off the earth, said the Lord. He's going to totally consume everything. And I, think, I look back at that falling, I think, man, look at that destruction. And God says, I'm going to destroy or consume everything off the land. And I will consume man and beast, and I will consume the fowls of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the stumbling blocks. And the stumbling blocks, in my margin, says the idols. I will consume the idols with the wicked, and I will cut off man from off the land, says God. He's preparing to destroy everything. And I, I thought, I really need to comprehend that. We're approaching that time. We're approaching a time when there's going to be great, great destruction. In verse 16, I'm just going to skip down to it. Well, 14 said, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near. The great day of the Lord is near. Emphasize, it's near and hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. In verse 16, a day of trumpets, of alarm against the fence cities and against the high towers. And certainly we saw some of those high towers fall, as Daryl pointed out today. And what, what I thought when I saw those towers down, and then I looked at Isaiah 59. Turn to Isaiah 59 and... I'm just going to show you what, what went through my mind and, and Isaiah 59 filled it. The people were running as this cloud came swirling through. And here in Isaiah 59, verse 10 says, We grope for the wall like blind. And I heard many people say they couldn't see anything. They were just fumbling around. And I thought, when this great destruction comes, many people will be caught in those areas and they won't find anything. They won't be able to save themselves. And we grope as if we had no eyes, and we stumbled at noonday. Well, it wasn't quite noon, but it was still in the morning, and it was still daylight on a very crystal clear day, but the people couldn't see, as if it was night, and we are desolate. We're in it like we're a desolate place as dead men. So I thought to myself, Nelson, what... Uh, what is it like? What, well, do I, how do I look at the approaching day of the Lord? Because I saw this, and I can remember years ago thinking how great it will be for the day of the Lord come. Well, I'm ready for the day of the Lord. Now, how many of us are really ready for the day of the Lord? Well, I found a scripture that we need to, to read in Amos. Amos. Chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. I thought, wait. I mean, I've really been looking. Why am I looking for the day of the Lord? 
if I look back in this little bit of destruction, and then I can portray my mind into the future and see almost four billion people being destroyed, do I really desire the day of the Lord? Is it my intent to say, hey, I'm ready for these people to be taken out? Did Moses think that? Remember what happened out there when uh, they came up and they wanted to take uh, the things that they did? That just a, you know, a few days after they heard, heard the, uh, the Ten Commandments, they were just having an orgy. And Moses fell down, and he was willing to say, I will give my life, Moses said, I will give my life for my country, my people, my nation. Paul said the same thing, if you remember. He said, I'd be anathema if only my people could be saved. And that's the kind of heart that God is wanting here. He said, we don't look for the day of the Lord because he's going to take and totally wipe out all these people because they're human beings too. And we know, yeah, we understand that they're going to be given life and they'll be brought back. But should we really want them to be destroyed? As if a man did flee from a lion. This is what you watch his focus in. Here, we want the day of the Lord as if a man is fleeing from a lion and then he's caught by a bear. Or he went into his house to get away from the bear and leaned on his wall and a serpent did him. Now that doesn't sound too good. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. When the day of the Lord comes, there's going to be a tremendous amount of destruction brought in. Tremendous amount. And does it have to be? I thought as I was listening to Daryl this morning and, and praying also this morning that would God change if we if we repented? And I thought, what happened with Jonah? God told Jonah, here again is a case where God told a prophet what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to take and destroy Nineveh, but I want you to go ahead of time and warn them. And of course, we know the story of Jonah. He went through and all the people and all the animals fasted. And God did not destroy that because they repented. So if our nation and the people in this world would just repent, we understand that that's not going to happen. They are not going to repent. So this day of trumpets is a memorial of blowing the trumpet. And we can look at Revelation, as Daryl pointed out again, that in uh, Revelation 8, the blowing of the trumpets, and each one blew and destruction came. Another blew and more destruction, and more blew and another and some more destruction. I also had written down here in Joel just to, to emphasize the fact of what is going to occur when the trumpets are sounding, those trumpets have said, blow the trumpet in chapter 2 of Joel. Blow you the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain and let the inhabitants of the land tremble. Well, I'll tell you, when you look at the destruction coming, 
we ought to tremble, because it is going to be great. For the day of the Lord comes, for it is nigh at hand. And something for us to comprehend that that is really close to each one of us. It's, it's nigh at hand. Of course, we might not all be there. We, we could sleep. I've thought many a time. The place of safety might be, as I told a friend of mine in United, uh, I said, Dale, the only place of safety for you and me might be uh, the grave. But that would be a good place to sleep. But that might not be it either. In Joel 2, 2 says, A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, of mourning and, and spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong there has not been ever the like, and neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. So the day of the Lord coming is going to be horrendous, and many people are going to wind up and give up their life for what they think is uh, a right way of life, but they don't know God. They really, the nation, this nation, doesn't know our God. I did listen to uh, just one of those preachers, even though it does make me sick too, who mentioned only a couple times that the nation needed to repent. And I said, come on, you have their... You have their attention. Tell them what they need to repent of. But he just passed it up and said, why, we have the cross, and we have Easter. So they have their idols, and they have a form of godliness, but they literally deny that power. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 30. Joseph's children, Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And when he put his name, Israel, on this nation, and so this nation is Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, England, United States, South Africa, Canada, Australia, this is Israel. But none, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. So we have a great promise that God is going to take and come. But prior to that, there's much destruction. Much destruction. Let's turn back now to Jeremiah chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 5. Declare you in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, Blow you the trumpet in the land and cry, Gather together and say, Assemble yourselves and let us go into the, into the defense of the city. So here God's saying, Come and gather together. Set up the standard in and toward Zion, he's saying to us, he's going to bring the church. As Daryl pointed out, we have uh, Jerusalem as the mother church, and Judah is the uh, remnant. And he's saying, assemble yourselves together into the defense cities and come to Zion and retire and say, for I will uh, bring evil upon the from the north and a great destruction. And we heard this morning, we only have evil coming in from the north right now and it's going to come from all directions onto this country because we have disobeyed our god and forgot who he is verse 9 and it shall come to pass in that day said the lord that the heart of the king shall perish and the heart of the princes and the priests shall be astonished and the prophets shall wonder so the worldly priests, the worldly prophets, and the kings and the leaders of this country are, are just going to have a, they're not going to comprehend what's going to happen because they do not know their God, their maker. They don't even know who we are as a nation. And great destruction is coming. Verse 19, my, my bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my heart. My heart makes a noise in, in me and I cannot hold my peace because you have have heard, O oh my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Well, we're hearing, you know, if we look at what prophecy says, we ought to begin, as they, the president said, we are at war. The trumpet is blowing. And our hearts ought to, ought to be so pained to, to look at what's coming to what God is doing because our nation has utterly and completely forgot who we are and forgot our God. And we commit all kinds of horrible things. I just just cannot believe what, what is happening in verse 20. Destruction upon destruction. When you think of Revelation, when the, when the trumpets start blowing in Revelation 8, it's destruction and then destruction and the next trumpet blows, and the next one blows, and destruction, and the next one blows, till you get down to the, <laughs> the fifth, and it says, the next three are the three woes. So destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land 
is spoiled suddenly are are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment. So it's not going to take a long time. Just as those two buildings collapsed, I thought, man, it didn't take that any time at all. You know, they had planned this thing for a long time, and it was a sudden attack. And if we sit back and are asleep, and I'm sure that God has opened our eyes, we are not to be asleep at this time. We were, we had the blessing to be woke from sleep, like the ten virgins, you know, that five, all of them were asleep. Only five of them had roots in the, had a better foundation, had saved some oil back, and five of them didn't. And God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to go out there and change our life. Ezekiel 33 where God has called us the watchman. We are the watchman. He's opened our eyes. If we, as individuals, see what's coming and don't warn the people, then their blood is on our, our hands if they die. And they're going to die. And I thought, when I heard that, I said, this nation heard the warning. But they kept quiet about it. The priests, the, the ministry in this world are not telling the people they have to stop sinning. And so when they die in their sins, is God going to hold them guiltless when they claim that they are God's and not preaching it? And so when God takes his servants and says, you have to change your life because I am bringing great destruction and you don't change, then the blood's on your own hand. But if he knows it and passes it by and lets you just go ahead and continue to sleep like our nation, then the blood is on our hands if we let and don't warn. Psalms chapter 80. Psalms 80 verse 1. Give ear, O shepherds of Israel, you that lead Joseph like a flock, you that dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. So he always says, take here, you that are servants of my servants, my leaders, take and listen up. Give ear to what I have to say. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh stir up your strength, and come and save us. So here we should be crying. Father, forgive us. Help us to change and spare and not look forward to this destruction upon all these people. Turn us again, O God, and cause your face to shine on us, and we will be saved. I think God is taking away the hedge on this country. I can look back on the, on my few years of life and see that we have had it pretty much made in this country. And just like Daryl said, our country is no better than any other country. We have committed acts of terrorism across this world, and people hate us for it. But 
We need to cry out, God, forgive us. Help us. Shine your face on us that shall, so we can be saved. O oh Lord, God of hosts, how long shall you be angry against the prayers of your people? Is God angry against my prayers and your prayers? Certainly he's angry against the prayers of this nation because they, they do not know him. I thought how much it is that when Ezekiel, uh, uh, the prophets of, of Baal, the 300 prophets of Baal, Elijah got up there and, you know, and they were out there praying, and he just harassed those people. You know, pray louder. Where's your God? You know, maybe he's asleep someplace. This is what the, the, the preachers that I've seen and heard in just bits and pieces. They keep crying. They have to have more crying and more praying. And, you know, maybe God's asleep somewhere. But when God's servant prayed, the one that loved God, his, his prayer was only about a minute. That's all it was, about a minute. He said, I know who you are. But show your power and show your might. And I think God's going to do that pretty quick. Verse 5, you feed them with the bread of tears and gave them tears to drink in great uh, measure. You make, us a, you make us a strife unto our neighbors. And certainly we are a strife to our neighbors, all the countries of this world. And our enemies laugh among themselves. Look at what happened. They showed glimpses of people over there in, in um, was it the West Bank or East Bank, where they were just having a blast that our country was suffering something. So they laugh at them, laugh among themselves at, at us. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause your face to shine us, and we shall be saved. We need to think about that and call God to, to save and show us these things. So I, in coming up to this thing, the first thing I wanted to show was the Feast of Trumpets is a, is a remembrance of blowing of the trumpets. In Leviticus 23, I'll read that. I've got it here. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial, of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So this day is represented as a memorial to think back or to look back as a reminder of something. And it reminds us of war, because that's what it is we've read in Joel. It is a remembrance of war. Now let's turn to numbers, because there's more to it. There's more than just the trumpet of war being sounded. Numbers. Chapter 10. Verse 2. Make you here, God is telling Moses, to make him two trumpets of silver and a whole piece shall you make them, that you may use them for the calling of an assembly and for the journey of the camp. And when they shall blow with them, the assembly shall assemble themselves to you at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if you blow 
but with one trumpet, then shall the priests, the princes rather, with, uh, which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves together. And when you blow an alarm of war, then the camp that lies on the east part shall go forward. So the trumpets were used for calling of an assembly, for gathering the people together. It was also used for going forth and marching. It was also used to sound an alarm of war. And uh, in Strong's, it tells us that it's an alarm of war or a war cry or a battle cry. The blasting of the trumpets for marching and for shouts of joy and a religious implication and shouts of joy in general. Let's go on down to verse 9. And if you go to war in the land against your enemy that opposes you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpet, and you shall be remembered. The important part here is when they went to war at that time and they blew the trumpet, it was not only to say, let's go to battle, but it was to call God and to remember them before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. So it's important to think that when that war sound is blown, God looks around and says, okay, you're my people, and he protected them, and he will, will protect them. Verse 10, also in the day of your gladness, in your solemn days, like today, the Feast of Trumpets, you're supposed to blow the, the trumpet. And in the beginning of your month shall you blow the trumpets over the burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God, for I am the Lord your God. So the trumpet was used for a lot of things, not only for war. And that war cry is gone out right now. It's, it's calling and should make people tremble. In Leviticus 25, verse 9, it tells us that the trumpet is blown for the Jubilee. Of course, we know the Jubilee will begin on the Day of Atonement, and that will be covered later on the Day of Atonement. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Chronicles 15, 24, we see the priest did blow the trumpet before the Ark of God. And it, re it got the people to look, and they were happy about those things. In verse, uh, verse 28 of 1 Chronicles 15, Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with the shouting and with the sound of the coronet and with the trumpet and with the ten, uh, cymbals making a noise with the psaltery in the heart. So they were happy. They used the trumpet in a happy occasion there. And this is part of this memorial that God said, blow the trumpets for this is the Feast of Trumpets. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, Ezra 3.10, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the priests, the sons of Asaph, with the cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of King David of Israel. So when they laid the foundation, when the foundation of the temple was made, they were joyous about that. When God begins to build upon the, the foundation, because I, I 
foundation is already set. The apostles and the uh, prophets with Christ, the head cornerstone, now God's going to be building on that. And he's going to blow that trumpet as he continues to build. In Psalms 89, verse 15, these are just a few things that shows the, the use of the trumpet, the blowing of the trumpet. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. So when they hear that sound and they're right, they're going to walk in, in God's countenance. In 98, Psalms 98, verses 5 and 6. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, and with the harp, and with voices of psalms, with the trumpet and the sound of the cornet, a joyful noise before the Lord the King. So it's, it's interesting that when the, the trumpets are sounded, they're not only for war, but they're for other areas, other things that bring praise and honor. And, 150, verse 3, Psalm 153. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and with the harp. So God loves music, and he loves the trumpet. Verse uh, Isaiah 27, verse 13. And it shall come to pass in that day that great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcast of the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in his, or in the holy mountain in Jerusalem. So another thing is going to happen when that trumpet's blown. He's going to call people that are ready to perish. That's why he said Israel would be saved. Even though they go through a massive destruction, they are going to be saved. Let's go to Zechariah now, chapter 8. Nine. Zechariah nine, verse fourteen. And the Lord shall be seen over them, and the arrow shall go forth as lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall go with the whirlwind of the south. And the Lord of hosts shall defend them, them and they shall be devoured, and stubble with the sling stone, and they shall drink, and make a noise as the though of wine, and they shall be filled with the bowels, and as the corner of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up in the ensign upon his head. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young man cheerful and new wine the maid. So when that great day comes, that time, that destruction, God is going to reach out there and save his people. But again, we shouldn't be looking forward to this destruction. 
because a lot of people are not going to make it. In 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that the blowing of the trumpet has a meaning of war, which we already saw, but it has another meaning. And that meaning is he's called out to save his people. has an opportunity to live and die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruit. After that, they that are Christ at his coming. Then shall the end come when he shall deliver up the kingdom of God, even to the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. So, when this comes, when this disaster comes, God is going to intervene, and he's going to remember us. In Revelation chapter 11, turn to Revelation 11 now. And begin in verse 14. And the second woe is past. Remember I said, we looked at these other things, destruction upon destruction, and the second woe is past. And behold, the third woe comes quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders fell on their face, which sat before God, and their seats fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O God, uh, O Lord God Almighty, which are and were and are to come, because you have taken to you your great power and have reigned. And all nations were angry, and your wrath uh, is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And you shall give reward to uh, your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. So when that trumpet blows, God is going to do to remember his people. Before the total destruction, it says, before he unleashes his wrath in the ten la or seven last plagues there, before he does that, he is going to remember his people. And the temple of God, verse 19, was opened in heaven, and there was in his temple the ark of testament, and there was lightnings and voices and thunder and a great and an earthquake and great hail. So when when this destruction comes, God is going to remember. When that seventh angel blows, he will look down and remember who is his people. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 25. Finally, we see that God has said these things for a long time. Isaiah 25 and verse 8. 
he shows, back, let's go back to verse 6. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make uh, unto all people a feast of fat things and a feast of wings of, of, of leaves and of the fat, that things full of marrow and the wings are, and the wings are leaves uh, well refined. And he will destroy the mountain, the face, the face of the covering cast over the people and the veil that is spread over all the nations. So there is a veil, a veil that keeps the nations and the people of this world from seeing who God is. And he's going to remove that. And he shall swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off the faces and rebuke uh, of his people shall, the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the earth and from the Lord, or the Lord has spoken it. So when this happens, God's going to unveil, he's going to open the eyes of the people and they're going to, and he's going to bring his nation back. He's going to save that nation of Jacob. He said he would do that. Verse 9. And it shall be uh, said, uh, said in that day, Lo, this is God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So finally people are going to be able to look up there, and they're going to be able to say, We have finally, the salvation is come. We who are called and blessed at this time will really be able to uh, sing this song or say these things that we are really glad that God has come and brought salvation for us, that the, though, uh, he will save us. We can say he will save us when that last trump shall be blown. Matthew 25, Matthew 25, verse 31 And when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, when Christ is returning, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit down upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall spread them, or separate them, one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king shall say to them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's a lot yet to happen. The whole country is rocking back and forth right now. And so much of what Daryl said was so important as God directed his thoughts that we're at war. But that trumpet is not only for war. We should take note that that trumpet has sounded, at least in our minds and our thoughts, and we can see that it is coming. In Matthew 24, we're told that unless these days should be shortened, all our flesh is going to die. But for us, those that love him, shortened. So we have a lot of, to realize
trumpet sounds, people are going to tremble. But in Thessalonians chapter 2, we see 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, 1, sorry, 2 Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, begin in verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as, as if it is meet, because that your faith grows exceedingly, and the charity of, wit of every one of you and toward each other abounds. So God's looking for that love to be abounding in us. What does he really want from us? I thought of Isaiah, and I don't have it down here, but Isaiah 66, chapter uh, chapter 66, verse 2 says, What is God looking for in us? To him that uh, is humble and a contrite spirit and trembles at his work. And are we trembling at the work of God? Do we recognize that this nation is rebellious, and they don't want to see God's way of life because their minds are blinded to that fact. But the preachers, the ministry of this world, are teaching lies. They are blaspheming God, and just like Darrell pointed out, and I saw this back in the spring at the end of the one program that I used to watch, and, and I was horrified at it, of the West Wing, when the president figure there went into the National Cathedral. Of course, he doesn't know it. You know, this is a, a, a terrible place, I and mean, it's full of evil all over. But he got in there, and he cursed God. And I told my wife, that's it. I don't watch that anymore. They are advertising to curse God. It's a rotten, heinous crime to, to do that toward my father and my brother to the God that created them, who was willing to give up everything he had. He gave up creative ability. And we know in John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And that Word was Christ. And Christ said in Matthew 4, he said, We should live by every word of God. Well, Christ is the Word of God. And the Bible is Christ. It is what Christ saw fit to put in here to teach us. And so we are to live by every word of God. And so that's what God's looking for in us. He's looking for us to live by every word of God. I have, a, I have another scripture here I wanted to bring out in James chapter 1. So just keep your hand here in Thessalonians because we're going to come back. But here in James chapter 1, what God's looking for in each one of us. Verse 22, he says, Be you doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving uh, your own selves. If we are not out there doing what Christ has admonished us, and we've had the sermons that uh, the series on marriage was so revealing, and there's so much there for us to make changes on. The sermon this morning, so much there for us to, to look into our own life to see what we can do. And it says we have to be doers of the word and not hearers. 
Therefore, if you be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like to a man beholding his face in a glance, and beholds himself and goes away and straight away forgets what manner of man he was. Well, I looked in the mirror this morning and I said, who are you? You know, it, it's interesting when you shave, you don't always look eye to eye, at least I don't. Maybe it's because I don't. Uh, maybe I'm kind of leery to see what I'm looking at. But this morning I said, who are you? Because I knew I had an opportunity to come to the children of God, the bride of Jesus Christ, and, and just tell you how much he really loves you. And I'm in an area up here in Tacoa, Georgia, with a group of people that are so full of love. I can feel the love that is... It just generates from, from right here. It is fantastic. So we can't be a, we can't look into the mirror and say, man, you've got a problem, and walk away and forget that you, as a person, have to make a change. I know people want to judge each other, but what one of us does is not going to affect you. What someone else does will not affect you personally for your salvation. I don't care what it is, if they committed murder, or they commit adultery, or they steal, or it'll hurt you, and you should go and tell them about it, but that's not going to change your salvation. It's what you do. So when you look in that mirror and you say to yourself, who are you? What are you doing? Are you repenting? Are you changing? And I don't want to get down on myself, because I know I talked to Roy one day a few the last, the last sermon I gave, and, and my wife was telling how my wife, how my oldest daughter thought uh, I was always down on myself. And Roy says, yeah, that was great. I'm glad she said that because I've been trying to get that across. Well, I'm not really down on myself so much, I don't think, as much as I want to analyze my life and see how I compare to Christ and to what he wants me to do. Because when that trumpet sounds, I want to be there. I want God to remember me. Just like he will remember Abraham and Jeremiah and Esther and Ruth and Naomi and all those that have loved him for to the end of their life. I want Christ to say, okay, Come be part of my family. I remember you. I remember who you are. So I really don't think I'm down on myself. Maybe it does sound that way. I don't think I'm down on myself as much as I think what I have to do to change. There's one other scripture there I want to go to, and that is in, uh, and we're still going to go back here to Thessalonians, but in Luke chapter 6 what God wants from us, Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Luke 6:46. And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? This is important to us. Christ speaking to his bride. Why do you call me Lord and don't do the things I tell you to do? Whoever, uh, whosoever comes to me, and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you 
to whom he is like. He's like the man which built the house and dug deep and laid the foundation in the rock. And when the floods arose and the streams beat it uh, violently upon the house and could not uh, shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. And I so much look back at the time, just like I mentioned with Frank, his foundation must have not must have not been deep enough. He must not be building his house on the right foundation. But he that hears the word, hears and does not, it is like the man who out of a foundation built a house upon the earth against which when the streams come it and violently struck it, it disappeared. And that's happened, and we've all saw that. We all have been a part of that. So we have to build our house upon the right foundation. We have to be doers and hearers and following what Christ said, because when that trump sounds, the important point here is that when he sounds it, he's going to take his people first. Back in Thessalonians. Back in Second Thessalonians. I think we're in verse 4. So... We ourselves groan within ourselves, uh, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all the persecution and tribulation and that you endure. God understands we're going to go through tribulation. I've got a sermon on that I want to bring, and I'm not going to go into that here because I've got it for the feast. But here Paul is saying he glories in, those, in our tribulation that you, uh, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that we may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that uh, trouble you. So, you know, to God it's a, it's a righteous thing to put upon people that are going to persecute us. It's, it's what he thinks. Because these people are going to be upset at us. When they see these things coming, when it begins to occur upon them and the trumpet blasts are blown, one, and destruction, and two, and more destruction, and three, and more destruction, all the way down to the seventh, destruction upon destruction upon destruction. They're not going to like us. And when the two witnesses get out at that point, they're really not going to like us. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So when Christ is revealed with his mighty angels, he's going to take and take care of us. Let's go, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither the image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So here 
thinking about those people, those that were beheaded, when Christ returns, he's going to remember who they were. But the rest of the dead in five uh, lived not again until a thousand years were over. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. These are those people that are doers of the word and not hearers only. Christ is coming. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. We're almost done. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians 4 verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with him. Wherefore, comfort your one another with these words. We are going to be given life before God's anger is finally leashed out on this. The trumpet that will sound at that time will be calling to remembrance God. Because of the war, he will call to remembrance his people. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed in a moment, or shall be changed. Here we're being, it's been pointed out, that when that trump sounds, we're going to be changed. So yes, the Feast of Trumpets is a trumpet of war, and war is always been stated by our country. But it also is going to be for God to remember his people, and he will transform us, give us the things that he's promised. The bride will be brought to him, or to Christ, when that thing walk, uh, occurs. So we have to then not just walk any kind of walk, but we have to walk the walk that Christ walked, that the apostles walked, that Abraham, that Noah, and all those that we find in the book of Hebrews. Some sawed asunder, some beaten and stoned as Stephen was. We have to walk that walk, and we have to talk that talk. So we have a, a great opportunity. The Feast of Trumpets is blown. The trumpets are going to blow. When that last trump blows, if we are walking, if we're talking, if we're living Christ's life, we will be given that life. 
But we have to remember, we're not better than the rest of the people. It's only because of the mercy of God, the grace of God, that we have this opportunity. We should be crying desperately to the nation to repent. As that it happened in Nineveh, that they will repent that they don't have to have this happen. But we know the scriptures tell us that's not going to happen. But we shouldn't look at it as it's something for us, us particularly. But it is a trumpet of war and many, many people are going to die. And we should be very saddened about that. And then we must get down and put our nose to the grindstone and get to work. That's the only thing we have. We have only one choice, and that's to work and follow Christ. Other than that, it will be the third resurrection to the lake of fire.